I want to speak to you tonight about water baptism. Um, I, I'm very careful as a pastor to teach the whole counsel of God. And this is a message or a, me, uh, a theme that I don't think you hear a lot about in church or a lot about in messages or a study. And so I think it's an incredible study, and I want to give this to you tonight. I want you to understand what water baptism is. I want you to understand the importance of it. I want you to be able to know what happened to you. And if you didn't know that this is what happened to you, then maybe you would like to get baptized in water again. It's important that you understand what you're doing. It's not a common thing in our culture to have water baptism or a water ceremony. It's very common in the Eastern world. They still practice it today in many religions. And, and basically, one of the understandings of it is, is that when you're putting yourself under the discipline of another teacher, of a divine, if you will, a guru, if it's in other religions, it might be one of the enlightened ones, then you go through what they call a baptism. It's a ceremonial cleansing where you are renouncing every other teacher. You are renouncing every other influence and this is the teacher that you are following. And so that is a basic understanding of the reason for water baptism. It's not just unique to Christianity, but it's unique in a lot of religions. And so I want to talk about it to you. It was something certainly that the Jews practiced in the Judeo law that was given by Moses when Gentiles were wanting to come in to follow Jehovah through the Jewish ceremonies and practices. They would go through ceremonial washings. And so I want to talk about that. First, I'd like to get into this, the baptism in the name of Jesus. Um, I know that that's been something that has been debated and argued about for many, many years. You know, is it you're, if you're not baptized with the phrase in the name of Jesus, then your baptism was faulty. It did not work, if you will. And then there are others that are very content, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you find that Jesus commands us to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then you find in the book of Acts how the apostles are baptizing in the name of Jesus. And so there's a dispute and an argument in the church about that. And what does the Bible say? That's what I want to get to. Not the opinions of people, but what does the Bible say about it? So in order to understand it, I would like to first look at the baptism of John. And so John's baptism is one of the most well-known baptisms in history uh, and in all of the Bible. You know, John the Baptist, you know, he was the baptizer and he was baptizing people in the Jordan River and in other places as well that were coming to him for this. In Mark 1 verse 4 it says, John did baptize in the wilderness. Now, this was his baptism. He preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins now, I want you to go to John 1. We're going to go through a lot of scripture because I don't want to just give you my opinion. I want to lay a foundation for you to understand baptism. And we're coming to the point, two things. Why was Jesus baptized by John? And then the second thing we want to look at is what does it mean to be baptized in the name of Jesus? 
or in Jesus' name. In John chapter 1, we also find a little bit of John's baptism. And he tells us this in verse 25. The, the, the religious leaders are confronting John, wanting to know if he is claiming to be the Messiah. He says that he's not. And so because you're not this divine or this enlightened one, why are you baptizing people? So in verse 25, they asked him and said to him, Why baptize thou then if you are not that Christ, nor Elijah, which they believe is to come, neither that prophet, which would also be referenced to the Messiah, that Moses prophesied a prophet like him is going to come. Well, that prophet would be the one who instituted the new covenant like Moses instituted the old covenant. And that would be referencing the Messiah. And John says, I'm none of those. And so they ask him, why are you baptizing then? Because this is supposed to be done by somebody who's leading a new way. Somebody that is divinely sent by God, enlightened, if you will. In Matthew chapter 3... I want you to see a little bit more about his baptism. And the Bible tells us in regards to John's baptism in verse 11. And we're going to read several of these verses. John said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. And I will just state the question. If the baptism of John is a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, why is Jesus being baptized by John? That's the question that we're going to attempt to answer and that people sometimes ask. And so John, in verse 14, forbid him, saying, I have need to be baptized of you, and you come to me. Jesus answering said to him, suffer it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so what I want us to understand in this verse of Scripture is the significance of the fact that Jesus is speaking to John about the need to fulfill all righteousness. That demanded that John baptize Jesus in this water baptism. John obviously and clearly recognizes Jesus as the greater one. That John knows I am less than you. And I have need for your baptism. John is confessing that this is the one that he has been sent to point all men to. This is Jesus. This is the Messiah. This is the one who has a baptism we all need. So I want you to go to Acts chapter 18. And we're going to look at a few scriptures here in Acts. And we're going to go back to Luke 7. In Acts 18... The Bible tells us in verse 25, 
this man, speaking of Apollos, who became a great teacher, he was a great teacher even before he was born again. But in verse 25, Apollos is a preacher. And this man was instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in the spirit, he spoke and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. So here's a great teacher. He's gone through the land and he's preaching the things of God. He's mighty. He's got a reputation. He's popular. But the only thing he knows is the baptism of John. Now, this is a lot of knowledge because John was a man sent by God. And John was preaching repentance and he was preaching the coming of the Messiah. And this is all Apollos knew. So when Aquila and Priscilla met him and heard how mighty he was in the scriptures, they took him to themselves and they expounded to him more perfectly that the one John was prophesying about is Jesus and he's come. And Apollos gets saved. And then Apollos becomes a preacher of the gospel. But right here in this particular scripture, what I want you to understand is that all John knew, and this is so important that you see it, was the baptism of John. And, and you have to know this because that was one of the most famous baptisms of the time. One of the most famous baptisms of history. And so when people were going around and they say, I just know John's baptism, most people in that culture knew exactly what they were talking about. And so you're going to come to this in chapter 19. Paul encounters a group of men in Ephesus who are worshiping and praising God. And the Bible says to them in verse 3, he said to them, Paul says to them, unto what then were you baptized? Because he asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, what are you talking about? We don't even know what a Holy Spirit is. And so Paul knew that if you don't even know what the Holy Spirit is, then you don't really know the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he asked them the question, what were you baptized into? This was, this was Eastern culture. Who are you following, man? Who is it that you are disciplined under? And so they say to him in verse 3, what were you baptized? They said, John's baptism. It was very popular. It was even in Ephesus, John's baptism. Then said Paul, this is important, then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Jesus Christ. That's what John's baptism was, to repent and to confess your sins for the remission of sins and to believe on the Messiah that John is going to point men to. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Prior to that, they were baptized in John's baptism, but now they're baptized in the name of Jesus. And I want you to go back now to Luke 7, and we're going to find out why Jesus was baptized of John. And I want to make it very clear. Jesus was not baptized by John because he was a sinner. Jesus was not baptized by John because he needed to repent. Jesus was not baptized by John because his life was crooked and needed to be made straight. The Bible tells us in verse 7 of Luke why Jesus was baptized of John. And it also speaks, and I hope it will speak convictingly to any of you that have not been baptized in water, why you should be. 
It is not really some, it's not intended to be some optional thing for your life as a believer. So in John 7, I just want to read verse 29 and 30. And all the people that heard him and the publicans, now Jesus is talking about John, all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves being not baptized of him. And so I want you to understand that the fundamental reason that Jesus had to be baptized by John for all righteousness to be fulfilled was not because Jesus had to be free from sin or that he needed to repent. But what Jesus was doing was justifying his father through the ministry of John the Baptist. That just the Pharisees, you read this, be looking at it if you will, just read that last verse that we read, and I think it is verse 30. The Pharisees and lawyers rejected God's counsel because they were not baptized. All you had to do to reject God's counsel that was coming through John the Baptist was not be baptized by him. That's it. You didn't have to protest. You didn't have to have a picket sign. You didn't have to do. You just had to refuse to be baptized by John. And you're rejecting God's counsel. To receive God's counsel or justify God's counsel was to receive John's baptism. By doing that, what you are saying is, as Jesus would ask the question to the Pharisees, I have a question for you. Was John's baptism from heaven or not? And the people couldn't answer the question. Because they knew if they did, it would be a riot on their hands. And so Jesus, what he's doing is, he's going into this baptism of John to justify and to agree with the fact that God did send John. And John is the prophet of the Lord. And John is speaking the truth of God. And John is the one who will point out to all of the world who the Lamb of God is. And that's what Jesus was doing. I I am agreeing that this is the ministry of God in John the Baptist. And the vehicle of God and the message of God and the method of God was about to abruptly change when Jesus would come up out of the water and the Spirit of God would come upon him and he would begin his ministry. From that point on, John decreased and it wouldn't be long before he was dead And Jesus' ministry would increase and many, many people would follow him who used to follow John. Now they would follow Jesus, all right? So I just want you to understand as we look at these scriptures that it was a common practice for people to come and hear this teacher who is calling men to repentance for the remission of sins and the proclamation of the coming Messiah to be baptized by him because they believed this to be true. This baptism became popular throughout the known world. Even into the regions of Ephesus that we read in Acts 19, there were people there who were in love with God and only knew the baptism of John until they were taught that John's message was fulfilled in Jesus Christ and then they were baptized in the name of Jesus. There's also another baptism in the Bible that is very popular, and the Bible speaks a lot of it. There's a reference in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 
And it says that Paul is talking to the Corinthians and he said, you know how all of the Jews went through the baptism of Moses when they passed through the Red Sea. And so Moses was raised up as a prophet of God and Moses was raised up as a leader who was going to institute to the nation of Israel a covenant by which God is going to have a relationship with sinful people. And this covenant was intended to bring men to repentance. And so this was the baptism of Moses. And multitudes, millions of people were baptized into the baptism of Moses. Confessing and stating that they believed he was a man sent by God. To deliver to us a message from God. And the message is true. And we adhere to it. And we're putting ourselves under the discipline of it. Therefore they were baptized in Moses' baptism. All right? You with me? You understand that? So you have the baptism of John, you have the baptism of Moses. And now we're going to look at the baptism in the name of Jesus. And I want you to go to Matthew 28. And I want you to just read this commission that Jesus gave to the disciples. And he says here in verse 18, Jesus came and he spoke to them saying, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore... And teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. I pray you look at that for evangelistic purposes. Because nowhere is Jesus saying, try to get people to say a sinner's prayer. But he's saying, develop a relationship with them and disciple them. And teach them the truth. Teach them everything that I've taught you. But one of the things that stands out in this hallmark commission is you are to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that was the instruction of Jesus. And so when you go into the New Testament, we're going to look at a couple of scriptures. But in Acts chapter 8, you're going to see how the disciples went out and they baptized in the name of Jesus. This is in Acts 8. This is Samaria where a revival happens under the, uh, the ministry of Philip. And, and then Peter and John are sent there so that they could be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says in verse 15, who when they were calmed down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them only that they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so here you have a verse of scripture where they're, they're, they're equating the fact that when they baptize people, they baptize them in the name of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 28 to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So is there a dispute or a discrepancy in the Bible? And the answer is absolutely not. If we just take the scriptures and we study the scriptures for what they're telling us. In Colossians chapter 2, I want you to see this instruction that Paul gives to his church. In Colossians chapter 2, we're taught here in verse 12 that we are buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. And so here you have a baptism that refers to a burial. We're going to study this in Romans chapter 6 as well, for more clarity on what this exactly means. 
But I want you to understand, and I'm, and, and I'm not through with this point. I'm going to build upon it in just a moment some more. But what I want you to understand is when Jesus was telling the disciples in Matthew 28 that you're to go into all the world and you're to teach men everything that I've taught you. And to those that are believing, you're to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when you come to Acts chapter 8 or Acts chapter 2, where Peter is talking to the multitudes who are being saved, that you must be baptized in the name of Jesus, they are not offering a phrase by which people are to be baptized in. They're not giving us this formula or a baptismal formula that you have to say these words in this order, I baptize you in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ. We're not even given a formula in Matthew 28 that you have to speak this formula that I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The significance of it is this, that the most popular baptism in the day was the baptism of John. Another popular baptism in the day was the baptism of Moses, that all of the Jews through the ceremonies of the Levitical system were baptized in. And up comes this new baptism in Jesus. And it is designated or it is differentiated from the baptism of Moses and the baptism of John by being baptized in the name of Jesus. It just simply speaks of the fact that Jesus is the one that you have put yourself under. It is you put your discipline underneath him. You believe him to be the one that has been sent by God. You believe that what he preached is true. You believe his message is true. You believe he is true. And therefore you are joining yourself to him. And through the act of baptism, you are renouncing all others. And this is the one that you follow. I follow Jesus Christ. And so whether you say in the name of Jesus or if you say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or if you say Jesus Christ, we baptize you, whatever it might be, the, the point is, is that you are joining yourself to Jesus Christ. And it is his baptism that is of, of significance in your life. So who should be baptized? That would be our next question. Who should be baptized in Jesus and the Bible tells us very remarkably, and I want you to read this with me in Mark 16, 16. And this is very similar to Matthew 28, because this is the same commission at the end. But in Mark 16, 16, it says this. We'll begin in verse 15. He said to them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth, now this is what Jesus says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And I want you to understand that there is a difference between baptismal salvation and baptismal regeneration. We're not saying through the act of water baptism that you're being born again. We know that's not the case. We understand in Acts chapter 8 that the revival occurred. Multitudes were born again. They were baptized in the name of Jesus, and then they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand this, that Jesus says, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. And I want you to look at Romans chapter 6 with me. And I want you to see this passage of scripture. And we're going to come to this, um, when I conclude this message, we're going to come to this uh, more regularly. I won't finish this message tonight. In Romans chapter 6 verse 3, it says, Know ye not that so many of us, 
as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. Remember Colossians chapter 2, that we were baptized with him in his death, buried with him in his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And I just want to say something to you. You don't bury living people. You bury dead people. Baptism is for dead people. All right? It's not for for people that are still alive. So you've died to something. And you've died to this world. And you've died to sin. And you're alive to God now. And that death now is the burial which is represented in the baptism. Even in the water baptism. So I want you to understand it. Follow with me. Jesus said in Mark 16, those that are believe and are baptized shall be saved. We're going to look at what this salvation is, especially in the next message of this. But in Acts chapter 2, I want you to understand this. We didn't reference this a moment ago, but I want to bring you to it now. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, the people are pricked in their hearts by the message of Peter on Pentecost. And they want to be saved. They cry out to him, what shall we do? And um, Peter said, and this is what he had heard Jesus say in Matthew, in Mark 16, 16, right? He's just repeating what Jesus said. He says to the people, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the promise that people are going to receive. But Peter says very clearly here in verse 38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. And we know that this is associated with water baptism. In Acts chapter 8, verse 36, the Bible says, and as they went on their way, they came to a certain water and the eunuch said, this he's with Philip, see here is water, what hinders me? From being baptized, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And so they got off the chariot and they baptized the eunuch in the water. That was the condition. That's that's who should be baptized. Those that believe with all their heart that Jesus Christ is the one that God has sent, that he is the Lord. He is the son of God. They should be baptized. They should want to be baptized. There's something spiritual in this. This is not just some carnal thing. There's something spiritual and very, very important in it. In chapter 10 of the book of Acts, verse 47, it tells us this. And and it says, can any man, this is Cornelius in his house, being saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 47, can any man forbid water? That these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. And so we're not saying that water baptism is the new birth. Because obviously in verse 47, these people have already received the new birth. They've already received the Holy Spirit. And so Peter is saying, listen, they're believers in Jesus. Why should we forbid them water to be baptized in? And so I want you to understand that there was a necessity, there was an urgency in the first century church to see people baptized in water. And our Western culture, we kind of like, you know, don't stress it a lot. We kind of take it or leave it. 
But there's something to the words of Jesus when he said, those that believe and are baptized shall be saved. There's something to that. Jesus was not misspeaking when he said those words. It was important. Now, when it comes to baptisms, it is very important that we rightly divide the word of truth. And so I want to encourage you to study this yourself. And I hope it stirs up questions for you. I hope it makes you go into the word of God, dive into it and study it more. And be careful to hear me out to the very conclusion of this lesson, not tonight, but when I finish it on everything that this means. But I want you to see this, if you will, in Ephesians chapter 4. And understanding how to rightly divide the word of truth. I want you to get this. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible brings us to this point in verse 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And people could take a verse like that. And they could build a whole doctrine off of it. And say, see, there's only one Lord. There's only one faith. There's only one baptism. But we have to understand there are many parts to all of this. There's, there's parts to the being of God, if you will. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when it comes to faith, there are parts to faith. There's weak faith, strong faith. There's saving faith. And all of that is faith. And when it comes to baptisms, we know from the Word of God that there are many baptisms that pertain to the New Covenant, right? There's the baptism in water. There's the baptism into Christ, which is done by the Holy Spirit to the person believing in Christ and they're placed into the church. There's the baptism in the Holy Ghost and there's the baptism in fire. So when we read the Bible in Acts, in, in Ephesians 5, 4 verse 5 and say that there's only one baptism, it's not that the Bible has error in it because he even goes on to talk about the Father, which denotes that there is a Son, and so we have to understand, as we're coming into the Word of God, we must rightly divide it to understand the truths of God. So many times we become so simplistic in our understanding of the Bible that it's very difficult to get into the deep things of God. Not that you get into new things of God. Just the deeper things of God and the, and the excellent things of God. And so go to this in John chapter 3. And I want you to see this. Jesus is with um, Nicodemus, who comes to him at night, and Nicodemus gets into this conversation with Jesus, who immediately begins to talk to him about the new birth. You must be born again. Now, we know already from Scripture that we've read that water baptism does not give you the new birth. There were two times we read tonight where people who are already born again receive water baptism. And so when we understand this in John chapter 3... When Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he comes to this statement in, in verse 5. And he says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so people would say, you see, there it is. You have to be born of water. This is water baptism. And so if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, you must be water baptized. But is that really what it says? And the answer is obviously no, that's not what it says. As a matter of fact, verse 6 is the answer to verse 5. And it's wonderful how the Bible explains itself. It's so beautiful. Verse 6 says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. And so being born of water is being born. It is the natural conception of a human being. It is, it is when a man and a woman conceive. 
And that life is produced. And that, that baby is living in that water. It is born in that water. And it is born in flesh. It becomes a human being. But if it's going to enter the kingdom of God, it must be also born in the spirit. Just becoming a human does not mean you're going to go to heaven. You must be born again, which he is speaking of the spirit. So being born again, he's referring first to the natural birth and second to the spiritual birth. Being born again. This was very hard for Nicodemus to understand. And Jesus says, why do you marvel at this? This is very simple to understand. The Holy Spirit comes and gives life to those who believe in Jesus Christ. And so this is what he is bringing forth. Now, I want want to say this to you. And I I want us to understand this. And I'm going to bring it to a conclusion for tonight. And I I want to sum all of this up. But God's heart and God's desire is for a world system that is headed by his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is going to be the head of all things. And he is going to be the head of human government. And his kingdom is going to be the kingdom that fills the earth. And Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign over this universe with those who have inherited his kingdom through faith and through belief in Jesus Christ. These people who are born again actually become subjects of a new race. They're humans, but it's a new species of humans. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us this very, very clearly. And I want you to read this with me and understand it with me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Bible teaches us, if you, if, if you will, in verse 47... The first man is of the earth, he is earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now, this I say, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. We are going to receive a new body. And we're not going to be living in that new body of flesh and blood, but it's going to be a new body of flesh and bone that's a different type of humanity, a new species, if you will. And the life of that new body is the Holy Spirit that generates its life. And that is the life that we're going to have. We, we bore the image of the earthy Adam just right now. We're flesh and blood. But Jesus is the Lord from heaven. He's the heavenly man who came to earth, the second man. And as he was raised from the dead, he was raised from the dead in flesh and bone, not flesh and blood. And he, he, he has a glorified body, and we are going to receive a body like that. And he is the head of this race. He is the head of this church. And it is through the church that Jesus Christ is going to implement his rule throughout all of the universe. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, He says this in verse 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You're a new creation if you're in Jesus Christ. And it is through this new creation, this redemption of humanity that has given their hearts and their lives to Jesus Christ that are going to rule and reign with him in the earth. Forever and ever and ever. 
And if a man or a woman is not born again, they cannot inherit that kingdom. Flesh and blood cannot inherit that kingdom. And so we're given new bodies and glorified bodies that he gives us. And so God's purpose in Jesus Christ and redemption is to put an end to an old creation through which sin has entered and death has entered and corruption has entered. And it is God's desire and God's magnificent wisdom to devise a plan that could put an end to that corruption and an end to that sin and an end to the death and an end to the things that Adam brought into the world through his rebellion. He would devise a plan which we know is the cross of Jesus Christ where Jesus would die for the sins of the world and he would condemn that old creation He would be buried, and when he was raised again from the dead, he was raised again in new life, which is the promise of eternal life and new life and the kingdom of God in this earth that is going to come. And we have the opportunity to be with Jesus Christ in that kingdom. We have the opportunity to be with him. And so I'm going to take just one step ahead of myself, if you will. So that you can understand this salvation. Because Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. And so, what is our salvation from? It's from this world. We're saved from this world. You'll never be saved from hell if you're not saved from this world. You'll never be saved from yourself if you're not saved from this world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so we desperately need to be saved from this world, this world system for the, for the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. All of that is the world. We have to be saved from that. And our salvation is from that. This world is under the judgment of God. And everybody that is on the side of this world is against Jesus Christ. You cannot be a friend of God and a friend of the world. Jesus said that. You're either for me or you are against me. And the judgment of God, the judgment of Jesus Christ is coming to this world. The judgment of God is not coming to hell. Hell is part of the judgment. The judgment of God, the wrath of God is coming to this world. And if the judgment of God is coming to this world to judge those inhabitants who are in the world and of the world and love the world and they're against God and against Jesus Christ, then the wrath of God and the judgment of God is going to be poured out on them. So what do we desperately need? We need to be saved from this world. We need to be saved from the judgment that is coming against this world. So what has God provided us? He has provided us an ark. Much like Noah's ark, Peter even references this in his epistle. And that ark that God has given us is the cross of Jesus Christ. And it is through the cross that we have passage from this world that God is going to judge. And we have passage into the kingdom of God where we have passed from death to life, from Satan to God, and from this wrath of God to God's grace and God's mercy upon our life. We have passed by the cross, the new birth, and the testimony of it is a water baptism 
that symbolizes your discipline under Jesus Christ and that he is the one that you follow and he has saved you from this world system. And that you, you can be a good sinner, you can be a bad sinner. You can be a moral sinner, you can be an immoral sinner. It doesn't matter, you're a sinner. You're of the world. Even if you're not as bad as other people, so you think, you're still of the world. And if you don't get out of here, you are going to be judged in the wrath of God. And water baptism, in some way, is a salvation testimony that I have been delivered from this world. I have died with Christ, and I have been raised with him to new life, and I'm in his kingdom. Now, I'll close with this. Those of us that have not been baptized in water, no big deal, you say. I don't know. It might be a very big deal. I don't know. I do know this, according to Luke 7, that all the Pharisees and religious leaders had to do to renounce God's counsel was not be baptized by John. And all that the sinners and the publicans had to do to justify God's counsel was to be baptized by John. And so if you don't have the baptism in Jesus' name, I don't know. I sure wouldn't want to be on the other side of that to find out. I don't know. Especially when God has made it so accessible and so easy. Now... We're just getting into this. We're going to have, in a, in a few weeks, I'm going to come back to this. Give you a few weeks to study. A few weeks to listen to this over again and over again. And I pray that it will be a blessing to you. But it's not often that you hear a teaching on water baptism. But I pray it's a little bit more clear what it means to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Who should be baptized? Water baptism is not the new birth. But we are. it, it is... The burial, because we have died to this world, and we are alive to God in His, and it's the testimony and the representation of that. And I encourage any of you that have not been baptized as a believer, because it is a believer's baptism, I encourage any of you that have not, it is something that needs to be on the top of your list, as well as the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and the baptism in fire, and so forth. I pray that it would be yours. So. I just want us to take a minute tonight, and I, I know we have to wait till about 8.45 to go pick up the kids next door, so we just spend a little time worshiping God, and um, maybe you'd just like to sit there and, and look over your notes, look over some of these scriptures, and, and study some of this, even just quietly before the Lord tonight. Take a minute to do that. Don't just let your mind be distracted from this, but rest in it, meditate on it, think about it. It's very important, and it's not often that you're going to hear something like this taught in church. And so I pray that you take advantage of it. Father, I thank you that you have come to give us life through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that it is not by our might or power that we cross from death to life. And I thank you, Father, that we were without power to escape the judgment of this world that Jesus came to save us, to rescue us. And I thank you, Father, that you have made it for those who believe. 
Father, that we can come and be baptized in Jesus' name to identify ourselves with you, confess our loyalty to you and not this world, to choose sides and to say to the world, you're now my enemy. Jesus is my friend. And I pray, Father, that in people's lives who have not been baptized in water, that there would be conviction that would begin to set in. That they might be a true follower of Jesus Christ and draw the line, principalities and powers. Because I know, Lord, that we represent it so much as a testimony to our loved ones that we're following Jesus now. But the biggest testimony of all is to the God of this world that I am no longer yours and I no longer follow you. He sees it. He knows it. You see it. And you know it. And there is salvation that comes in that act. Father, I thank you that you will bring blessing upon your people for the glory of your Son.